Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello, I'm Hugh Linehan and you're very welcome to this latest edition of Inside Story, the podcast series from the Irish Times in which we talk to our journalists about the background to stories which they're working on for the print edition or on irishtimes.com. It is Saturday, September the 13th, uh, almost 10 years on for the beginnings of the financial crash and the Great Recession that followed. Simon Carswell has been returning to have a look now at one of that recession's most enduring and visible legacies, the ghost estates that were left across the country in the wake of the collapse of the property bubble. His long read article is in this weekend's Irish Times. Um, Simon, first of all, who did you go out and talk to? I went out to talk to people who were still living on these unfinished developments, is what the government calls them, these ghost estates as we know them. Um, I visited about a dozen of them uh, and the aim really was, I wanted to go back and see, I'd been obviously out of the country for four years and I was surprised to see that there were still so many of these ghost estates still in existence. And I looked at the government report that was published in March and it showed that there was 420 remaining, which is a substantial reduction from in the order of about 2,800 in 2010. And it kind of went up a little bit as well. It was in the order of about close to 3,000 ghost estates at, at, at its worst. And that there are still 420 in existence. And there's a huge number of vacant units as well. I mean, you're talking about 24, 20, almost 25,000 ghost dwellings, so to speak. So I was just wondering why they were still there because, you know, we hear so much talk and I've written about this as a housing crisis in pockets of the country. There's just not the availability of housing and why in some parts of the countries there is availability of some housing that certainly could be finished, uh, could be completed. So that was the purpose. It's like, why are they still in existence? And I found that the places that I went to uh, and I went to the parts of the country that were most, uh, the worst affected uh, was the Upper Shannon region. So the counties of Roscommon, Leitrim, Longford, parts of Cavan uh, and and uh, southern Longford as well. These are the ones that were particularly driven by tax incentives. Yeah, and these are kind of the most egregious examples of poor government planning, poor government policy, poor planning by local authorities where there was a tax scheme set up and they thought that, well, if, you know, it's a case of if you build it, they will come. And they did build it and they didn't come. And a lot of these ghost estates were driven by tax relief that could be provided by land or could be obtained by landlords. So they were buy-to-let properties in places that typically there wasn't a huge rental market. Um, And the types of houses they were building were like estates of houses. So if somebody wanted a house on the banks of the River Shannon, they don't necessarily want a house that's part of a development of 15, 20, whatever, 30 houses. They want a standalone house. They want a lot of space. So a lot of these houses didn't even have, weren't on big plots of land. They were like a housing estate that you'd find on the outskirts of any major city. Sure, or and I think most people, most people listening to this, if they listen to it in Ireland, if not, they've travelled it all around the country over the last few years, will be familiar. They'll have seen examples of this, as you say, these sort of suburban housing estates 
empty or half empty, boarded up uh, outside often very small towns in very remote parts of the country. But you, you went onto those estates and it should be said that on many of these places there are people living and you've, you've, you've talked to some of those people. Yeah, I mean, one of the worst examples was uh, an estate called Shannon Valley, which is on the outskirts of Balladrine in County Roscommon. Uh, it was a housing scheme that was about 60 odd houses um, were, were planned there. Um, 20 have been demolished because they were, they were, ha- uh, they were derelict, they were half built, some were just at foundation level. Um, they were, those are demolished and there are still people living on this estate um, and they bought, some of them bought at the peak of the market, some of them bought more recently and they've seen the value of the houses go from when people who bought it off plans in the order of about 660,000 to uh, one family that I spoke to bought their house for 17,000 in the last couple of years. So uh, a lot of these uh, people are in serious uh, they, they're unhappy with the estate that they're in. They're unhappy with the fact that there's unfinished houses at the, across the road from them, across a green from them, that there is uh, basically a lot of these houses internally. There, there's rubble inside. Uh, there's rat problems. These families have young kids and they're worried about them um, going over and playing in these properties. And we have a clip of one of the people you talked to. OK, I bought here back in 2005. I bought off the plans. The estate, uh, we only had the show house at the time and I bought off the plans. Um, sold the house in Dublin and my hope was when I finished work to move out to the country to Balahadrian to lead the easy life and uh, more relaxing to get out of Dublin what, what, like, when, when did things start going wrong? Things start going wrong about 12 months after the house was finished uh, back then 2006-2007 when the bubble burst uh, a lot of the houses that were started were left idle and left unfinished and a lot of vandalism then started to take place and uh, break-ins in the area and uh, there was no lighting, no roads, nothing, just a, a ghost estate. The builder ran out of money, obviously he ran out of money and he didn't have the money to finish the estate. So although the houses were up, the roads were the last thing to go in and the lighting, they were on the plans to go in next, but he ran out of money and that never happened. We, we feel very uh, very lost here, like like the forgotten people. It's like a place that has just been forgotten all about and left, left like Beirut, to be honest with you. So that was Dave Hand, who is living in Balladurin. Um The census returns this year from the census 2016, which took place last year, show that Balladurin had the cheapest houses in Ireland. Is it because of these sort of ghost estates? Is that one of the things that's driving that? It's certainly one of the factors that's driving uh, the low value of property in a place like Balladurin. So if you look at where these ghost estates are, if you look at the number of properties that are in these estates, uh, you can pick up a house in some of these estates with the, that they've um, that where there are completed uh, properties for, for a very small sum of money. Would you want to? Well, um, maybe you would because the value you're getting it. Uh, um, there, there are people who have bought in Shannon Valley in the last couple of years and that are living there. Um, it's not a very nice place to live because of, they've got antisocial uh, behaviour problems on the estate. Where what what landlo- are the antisocial behaviour problems? Are there people squatting there? Are there people using the houses who don't, well, don't own pe- them? There are people who are there on rent allowance, so they're obviously getting the houses pretty cheap, but um, you know, it's bringing 
bring in that's brought in unsavory elements uh, brought in a lot of um, late night shouting a lot of disturbances a lot of abuse to some of the neighbours that are there uh, tenants who are coming and going people are coming onto the state late at night that they don't know um, attracted in by these tenants and it's causing a lot of problems for the residents who have lived there and it's causing a lot of problems for families who are there who are trying to raise kids as well so it's, it's a major issue and the fact that uh, most of the houses that are standing in this estate are unoccupied and boarded up and that there's issues around the back there's windows smashed there's uh, basically anything of value in these ha- in these derelict, ha- derelict houses have been ripped out. It's just not a place that you should be raising a family. So what's the situation with an estate like that, which was presumably, you say they were boarded up and the windows were smashed, so they were presumably completed, uh, at least at, at some stage, but have now been left empty for eight, nine years, something of that sort? Yeah. What sort of condition would they be in? They're in really poor condition, some of them. Um, I mean, any, as I say, anything of value inside has been ripped out. There's fridges been ripped out. Any of the, the, the balancers have been taken apart. There's no mantelpieces. Copper have been pulled out of the walls. The wiring has been pulled out. Really, they're, they're, like, a, they're like a bomb site inside them and uh, an awful lot of work would be required to do them up. Uh, what I found was a lot of the estates, a lot of people who were living on these estates described themselves as being in this kind of no man's land, this limbo, where a lot of these estates are stuck between a developer who went bust and was unable to finish them and a council who's unable to take them over because they weren't built to a certain standard whereby the council could take them over and take charge of the amenities like the public lighting, the sewage. When you say not built to it's because they weren't finished that they weren't built to a certain standard? The developer ran out of money. Um, The market turned at a certain point so if you look at some of the planning files behind these ghost states which I did in in Roscommon you see in that period 2007 to 2010 it going from what looked like a very valuable development for the developer with all the tax incentives that would come with it too. You could see that the money was ebbing away. There was a lot of pressure, letters written to the council looking for um, some sort of leniency to be shown on some of the, the development fees and levies that they should have been paying to the council. So you could see through the planning file the market beginning to turn and ultimately receivers and banks uh, came in, uh, appointed receivers to the companies and took charge of these estates. The trouble is is that there's so much money required to finish these estates that it just is not worth worth it. You're not going to get the value for the property if you put in the money that's but, but required. But just clarify this for me then if given that there are some people living in some of those houses so presumably those houses are in relatively good nick and they can you know those people plan to continue living there is it not time just to knock the rest of them I mean the market is never going to want these houses and probably I mean there are kind of mathematics involved and if you leave a house derelict or empty even for a certain length of time it's probably going to cost too much to try and revive it anyway well that's the conundrum that a lot of these people are in they've paid a lot of money for the houses like the people who bought them off plans paid 150 160,000 for these houses their neighbours paid 17,000 for these houses the houses across the road require probably between twenty and 50000 to be completed and brought to a standard where they can be brought to market. But you're not going to put €50,000 into a house that you're not going to get anything more than maybe thirty or 40000 for. So that's the limbo that they're stuck in. So the bank who is charged with it isn't going to finish them out. Um, the developer's gone, so he's not going to develop them. He's not going to finish them off. He's no money to finish them off. And the council's not going to take charge of them because that's a cost that the council has to bear. And the council's not going to take a lot. All the, all the local authorities around the country that are dealing with these ghost states, they're not going to take them over until they're of a certain so standard. So where does responsibility lie here? Well, it lies with the government, I think. I mean, if you speak to some of the residents of these ghost estates, they say their feeling is these estates should be knocked. They should never have been, never received planning permission. They should never have received the tax relief they received from government and never have been, that development should never have been driven by government policy. And their feeling is the entire estate should be knocked and they should be compensated. Now, that creates all sorts of issues for government. That's a very, very costly bill. If you think about in the order of 25,000 ghost dwellings, that's a lot of money to compensate for the people that are in occupied dwellings. And I looked at some of the figures that the government had provided. So with the 420 ghost estates at the end of 2016 and the 
report they put out earlier this year, they said there's 291 developments that are home to residents. So it's really tricky to try and resolve those. And I spoke to a, an academic and they were making the point that if you drew a line between Derry and Kerry and everything west of that outside the city, it, there's no market for a lot of those ghost estates. So there is certainly an argument that they should be knocked and some, there should be some compensation. Well, hold on a second. So... so a substantial number of them are completely empty and then a slightly larger number have some people living on them. So can you not make a decision straight away immediately just to, you know, level the ones that are empty and, are, as you say, are, are never going to be populated? But even I mean, le- they're just a, I mean, they're a hazard and a health and safety risk. They're nothing more than that, are they? There is, and uh, to be fair to a lot of the councils, they've done quite a lot of work to resolve those health and safety issues. I mean, there were 20 houses on the Shannon Valley estate that they knocked a couple of years ago. The problem is, is that dem- demolishing properties costs money. It's not like, it's not, you know, just ploughing a bulldozer through it. You've got to take up foundation you've got to remediate the land it's a very costly process it's actually rather than demolition it's deconstruction it's like taking things apart and that requires a lot more money and if you look in Roscommon alone the council provided from a remediation uh, fund that was created by the government they uh, provided about a quarter of a million uh, to resolve nine unfinished estates but that's only going to get you so far that will deal with the worst areas of a ghost estate that allow you to put up fencing to keep kids off the worst parts of it the problem is is that these estates are deteriorating with every passing year and with every passing year that there's no new developer coming in, uh, it's going to get more and more costly. And really, I think there's requires a much bigger solution by government. At the moment, the government has relied on market solution. It's If you look at, I, I drove through uh, Longford and I went to visit a number of the ghost estates that were near to Longford town. And actually what's interesting there is uh, much m- many more ghost estates have been resolved in and around urban centres. So in, in essence, Resolved meaning what? Well, resolved by the market in that buyers have come in, it made sense for developers or builders to come in or cash buyers to come in and take over an estate like so buy a housing estate of 10, 20 houses for a quarter of a million there is value there of course if, you, if you're if you a builder and coming in and, and particularly in those areas where Longford is not far from Dublin you may get commuters there's better job prospects in Longford town than there would be let's say in Balladrine so those kind of houses are going to get built um, built out more quickly. So yes, the government's solution of relying on the market has helped. It has led to an 85% reduction in the number of ghost estates. But and what, they're probably very reluctant to set any precedent by getting into any compensation type situation for somebody because their property is depreciated. I mean, well, that, that could cause all kinds of difficulties in the future. Absolutely. It? And you're actually getting to the point where we're now at the kind of dregs of the ghost estates. These are the worst ones that there isn't going to be a market solution for. So what solution should there be? Should there be social housing provided? I mean, councils don't want to get into that. We've seen this moved by the government not to get into the development and building of social housing. They've relied on private market, landlord-driven solutions to have social housing. Plus, they're in the wrong parts of the country. They are absolutely in the wrong parts of the country. So, again, it begs the, begs the questions of why were they built there in the first place? And one estate, that, or two estates that I went to in rural Cork, that was interesting, where there wasn't the tax incentives driving it. What there was was a belief by the developers that, well, actually, we can have this kind of rural living and, uh, and urban working. So the, that, the idea that people would commute to Cork or other yeah, urban centres in the it's county. it's an hour from Cork it's an hour from Limerick that people might want to live in the countryside and they don't mind taking on an hour commute it's a half an hour to Mallow you know Mallow would be have a little bit more employment than some of the other regional towns around so there's a prospect there but Again, these situations, the planners should never give plan permission. Banks were taking huge risks that they didn't see and the developers thought there was a demand for houses. I mean, one village, Boherbui, a resident there, made the point. At one point, there was planning applications in it just before the peak of the boom of up to 100 houses. And he made the point, over a 200-year period, there are probably not much more, 140 houses built over a 200-year period. Why should there be any demand in a little place like Boherbui for a, a, almost 100 houses uh, in the space of a two- to three-year period? Because let's just have another 
listen to one of the, the people they talk to. But the fact that people can't find housing, certainly affordable housing in other parts of the country, maybe around the cities in Dublin. But I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the rest of Ireland that are looking for housing. That's on the common housing list for social housing. They're not going, what they could have done up. They could have spent money on them and done them up before they went really, really bad. But they waited and waited and waited to see what's going to happen. And the longer they waited, the worse they got. And now they can't do anything with them. So what would you do with them houses? What would that cost? They put them in two houses back to the original, whatever the setting was in the beginning. Cost thousands and thousands. I'm talking with Simon Carswell about his long read, Simon. I think a good 3,000 words or so on your... Um, a bit on longer than ghost that. Estates. A bit longer than that, yeah. <laughs> good, hefty weekend read in, in this weekend's Irish Times about where ghost estates are now. You were saying at the outset, Simon, that you know they, they have declined. The number of ghost estates has, has declined substantially from its peak in about 2010, 2011. But they are still an eyesore across the state as well as, you know, making people's lives a misery you have to live in them because because they have no option. From what you're saying, it doesn't sound like there is an overall long-term plan uh, rather than just to kind of work them out of the, the market, which has, I suppose, had some success over the last five or six years. It has, but I don't think there is a long-term plan for these ones. These are the, the very, very worst in places that there was never any, really never any demand uh, for housing for, for the kind of markets that developers thought there would be. Um and as I say, the Upper Shannon region is particularly bad because it was driven by this uh, hugely lucrative tax incentive scheme. Are there any left in the Greater Dublin area, for example? No, South South Dublin, um, South County Dublin had no zero, had zero uh, ghost estates in the last check that they did. So that does show, and I think it was down from close to a dozen uh, at, at the at the worst point. So it shows that where there is a market, it will. See these uh, see these housing estates completed, and um, as you get further away from the urban centres, it gets to be a greater problem. As I say, rural Cork, uh, parts of Kerry, Tipperary, um, the 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 worst part of the country where there is the greatest number as a proportion of households is around the Upper Shannon region, which explains. I, the I suppose one of, one of the things, whenever I hear this stuff personally, I get infuriated about the decisions that were made and that we're all still suffering from, and the people we've heard from still suffer from. But I, I was interested in the piece that you point out that. These kind of the, the worst estates here now, the ones that were probably embarked upon the latest in the in the in the economic boom, they they were mostly not Irish financial institutions who who backed them. They were mostly banks from outside the country. Yeah, I mean, this is a misconception that's out there. People think that NAMA, which NAMA took over all the loans from the domestic banks, or the the commercial property loans, are the the worst loans within these banks, uh, and that NAMA had all the ghost estates. They in fact had about a tenth of them, uh, a little bit more than a tenth of them, uh, at 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 their worst. And uh, NAMA's actually actually done quite a lot of work to remediate a lot of them. Uh, I think they're down to about uh, 11 in March of this year from 332 in 2010. So that's quite a reduction. And a lot of the financing for these ghost states was done by the likes of ACC Bank, which is Dutch-owned, by the likes of National Irish Bank, which is Danish-owned, the likes of Bank of Scotland Ireland, which is UK-owned, Ulster Bank, which is UK-owned. So, uh, and a lot of... Most of which are now gone from Ireland. Gone from Ireland. A lot of the foreign players have left. Um, And it was interesting in some of the estates that I went and looked at, they were the majority funded by foreign lenders, particularly in rural parts of the Upper Shannon region, those counties, the worst counties, uh, for ghost estates. So it shows that in some cases, these lenders very late to the market, so they would have seen what uh, Anglo would have been doing, uh, followed by AIB and Bank of Ireland, but certainly AIB ahead of Bank of Ireland, and wanted to kind of slice that action and got in quite late. Uh, a lot of the developments that I saw that are 
Um, ghost estates now were built in that kind of 2004 to 2007 period right on the cusp of the crash that and period as well let us not forget when Brian Cowan actually extended the, the tax incentive for the for the Shannon Basin by a further two years well one of the things that jumped out at me at this whole exercise was you can actually trace back all of the problems that exist in the upper Shannon region to this one um, rural renewal scheme this tax driven scheme that existed that was introduced by Charlie McCreevy in 98 and was extended uh, or they'd like to say phased out, it was phased out, but it was extended. Said very slowly. Very slowly, by two years, um, not wanting to take tax breaks away from people too quickly, when there was evidence provided uh, to the government by good body, uh, good body economic consultants that there was no real economic value in the scheme. It was poor government planning, poor tax policy to provide this. And those uh, decisions of those two ministers, that can explain why there are so many ghost states in these pockets of the country. Has it ever been explained why they were so slow to phase them out? I think there was political pressure from parts of the country. Um, I spoke to a number of people, and their view was that there was uh, it wasn't it was evidence free policy. There was no evidence driving that, uh, in, certainly initially, um, and that it was a lot of local lobbying. Uh, I mean, the scheme initially started as a plan to uh, rejuvenate Carrick and Shannon. They thought it would be better uh, if it was extended for the, the wider county and then to the wider region, uh, but even when they were presented with evidence to show that this wasn't working out, uh, the tax breaks were very lucrative. I mean, they were, the, the developers could write off a substantial amount of the build costs. Investors could write off large sums of money in taxes against these investments that they made where there were really no tenants for. Um, it is extraordinary that that tax scheme was allowed to continue uh, even on a phased-out basis of two to three years. And in general, years. where are these developers now? Are some of them still in business? Um, most of them are bust. Um, any of the Any of the developments that I looked at, the developers behind them were in either receivership or liquidation so they, you know, they pulled the curtains themselves or the banks pulled the curtains for them um, and it all came at that same time, that 09-2010 period where uh, the, the bank lending just dried up, the, the ability to buy houses dried up, the ability to fund housing dried up as a result and uh, these ghost estates you know, that are still haunting the land are, are a kind of this monument to this period of uh, reckless lending, really poor um, government policy making and um, really over exuberance by developers. Any chance we'd ever make that mistake again? Well, I. Uh, or a different version of the same mistake? I, one of the people I spoke to made the point that, you know, maybe there is some use for these ghost states, they should leave them stand as a monument of what not to do. Um, to remind people of this, this is, these are the mistakes that you can make. And I think if, if anything is driving policy with regard to tax incentives to encourage any kind of development or economic activity, it should be driven by evidence. I mean, it's astonishing that it wasn't, um, particularly in this Upper Shannon region. And that, yes, if there is one or two ghost estates still standing, perhaps next time a Minister for Finance considers a tax incentive scheme for a part of the country, they should take a drive around Balladrine and parts of Longford and Leitrim and see exactly what poor government planning uh, results in. You can read Simon's article in this weekend's Irish Times and an accompanying video which you can watch on irishtimes.com. Simon, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks, you. And that's it for this edition of Inside Story. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinhan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. Remember also, you can find all our shows on irishtimes.com slash podcasts or you can subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. If you're a subscriber, by the way, we do always appreciate if you'd take a moment to rate or review the show as it does a lot to help us reach a wider audience. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.